Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Tyler Smith with Keller Williams Realty in Folsom, California. He works the Tri-County area of Sacramento, Placer, and El Dorado counties. Last year, he closed 171 transactions with a total sales volume of $32 million. His average sale price was $187,000. 16% were buyers and 84% were sellers. He operates a team with five members, two executive assistants, one buyer's agent, one field runner, and one team leader. Tyler Smith is the team leader of the Smith team. He has been an agent for seven years. Tyler specializes in selling REO and short sale properties. Last year, Tyler was ranked the number one agent for Keller Williams Realty in Sacramento County and ranked in the top 50 agents nationally for Keller Williams Realty. Not bad for a young man who's only 27 years old and selling homes in a down market. Tyler started in real estate at a young age. Although he had a slow start, he's firing on all cylinders now. Tyler has a rare gift of being both analytical and charismatic. He uses his analytical skills to develop and implement systems and standardized checklists. He uses his charisma to quickly build rapport with asset managers, prospects, and staff. Tyler loves to learn new ideas and implement them. He's energetic, full of life, animated, and tenacious. He has the gift of storytelling and uses it to paint vibrant pictures. He peppers his speech with wonderful quips such as, Go from making a living to making a fortune. And, if it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. And what you give out in slices comes back to you in loaves. Tyler believes the early bird gets the worm and typically rises before daybreak. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Tyler. Hi, how's it going? Great, great. Thank you, Tyler. Tyler, I have a question for you. Before we get started into what you're doing now, I'd like to go back in the past and ask you, what did you do before you got into real estate? Before I got into real estate, I worked at a restaurant. I, uh, I actually bought my first home when I was 19, going on 20. So back then, I'm 27 now, um, you can imagine anyone can get a loan. And back then, I said, you know, I don't really want to rent anymore. I don't want to live at home with my mom, even though I adore her, and my, my father, even though I adore them. But uh, I said, you know, I got with my best friend, Clint, and I said, hey, bud, let's, uh, let's go buy a piece of property. And he said, hey, you're out of your mind. This is not going to happen. And um, we went, and we both worked at a restaurant, me at Cattleman Steakhouse and him at Outback Steakhouse. And we uh, purchased uh, our first piece of uh, real estate, and we lived in it. And we lived there for two and a half years, and 
in between those two and a half years, I, I really realized a lot of things. I realized, one, the realtor who represented me not really took advantage of me, but really didn't educate me in the way that they probably should have. And then, um, two, I mean, a lot of things broke literally the day we moved in. And the day we moved in, both of us got our wisdom teeth pulled. So you can imagine our wisdom teeth pulled, our parents kind of helping us because we look like chipmunks, and then the hot water heater going out. <laughs> it was just a mess. And so uh, I said, if this realtor, and our realtor was our lender as well, so it's like if this realtor slash lender can make, I think she made like $11,000, $12,000. like, if she can make that and do a bad job, I, got, I, I could probably do a better job and maybe build up a business here. So um, I got into real estate when I was uh, 20, and that's kind of what gave me, gave me my, uh, got my in to real estate, and that's what I kind of did before that. I worked at a restaurant waiting tables as, uh, as most people at that age. Tyler, when you got started, do you think you had a fast start or a slow start? I think I had a very, very slow start. Um, my first, I'd say, two years, two and a half years, I spent more than I made. You have to understand, at the time, I was 20 and 21. So, you know, I'd get a $5,000 paycheck, and I'd go out with my buddies. and like, everything's on me. Don't worry, because, you know, at 21 or 20, $5,000 is, you know, I've never had that type of money in my possession. So, um, you know, I could spend 3000 and still have two left over, and that was a lot for me at 20 and 21. So as far as getting my start, I, I didn't, you know, I did not know what I needed to do. I didn't have great, great uh, mentors and trainers. I kind of just got in, and everyone's like, oh, you're getting in like everybody else. I mean, I remember printing my business card, and first of all, I looked like I was 10 in, in the business card, the photo, but then also, I remember getting in going, hey, nobody's calling me, you know, I'm in real estate, shouldn't people be calling me wanting to buy or sell? I mean, I, I didn't really get it, I was a little naive at that age, so... Uh, I kind of learned fast. I wouldn't say fast, actually. It took me two years to learn that. You kind of have to go out there and get the business, and you have to market yourself and prospect. And I was set on, I want to just do million-dollar homes, million-dollar homes, million-dollar homes. And um, I, I, I looked at all the agents that were doing million-dollar homes, and I said, I don't know if I can compete because I went on a presentation. They said, you're younger than my son. <laughs> so it, I said, what do you mean? You don't know my age. And so at the, I mean, I had to wear a, a fake wedding ring at one time because people thought I was too young young it wasn't a good was not a good uh, good start so i'd say a very very slow start what was the turning point um speaking of that's funny how you say what was the turning point the actually turning point was brian buffini's turning point retreat <laughs> that's what it's called so uh that's funny how you say that he has a a, a, a seminar called the turning point retreat and um, I actually went to it. Um, a friend of mine at the, in the restaurant business said, hey, my mom's kicking butt in real estate. You've got to talk to her. And I talked to her, and she's like, are you doing the Buffini thing? And I'm like, the Hufini what? I, what are you talking about? She's like, the Brian Buffini thing. And I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. What is that name? And um, I went to this, this seminar, and it was phenomenal. And I'd say that was really the turning point in my real estate career because I really learned how to put systems in place. I didn't have systems or structure. And at that time, the market was so hot the brokers weren't spending money much time with the little agents like myself. They were spending time with the big agents and, you know, you know, you know, catering to them so they wouldn't lose them. So, um, when I went to the Turning Point Retreat, they taught you how to put systems in place, how to market yourself differently, how to stay consistent, how to budget, which I'm like, budget? What does that word even mean? I mean, I don't know what budgeting means. So it taught you a lot of different things. So I'd say the real turning point in real estate was Brian Buffini's Turning Point Retreat. Well, let's fast forward. Describe your current market. 
Well, current market, we're in California, so as you know, it's not uh, it's not rising. <laughs> so it's definitely a, a, a it's low. I'd say it's we're about 40 percent. Uh, we've seen 40 percent decrease since 2005, 2006, the top of the market. Um, I'd say 40 percent are about short sells, and about 25 to 30 percent are REOs and HUD homes. And we have we still have some traditional homes out there, but it's very little. It's a little uh, around 20 to 25 percent. So um, the market's definitely declined. We've seen a decline. I don't think we're going to crawl out of it for another, I'd say, three years, um, and then see maybe a, a decent market at about four or five. So um, that's kind of where the market's at right now. And I'd say. Sacramento, Placer, and El Dorado County. And those are the three counties I, I work. And we are in Northern California. What's your average time on the market? Average? Well, it depends. I mean, every, I'd say as a whole MLS, it's pretty high, but you have to, it, it depends on what type of property. If you're selling an REO, <clears throat> average time on the market's about 36 days. If you're selling a short sell, average time on the market's 98 days. So it's a little bit higher because short sales take more to negotiate. And then if you have a traditional sell, I mean, I think the average when I last looked it was like 93 days. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, probably don't want to list their property as a traditional seller with equity. They don't want to just list it where the bank is, one, because they don't, they just don't, they think their house is better. And two, they don't want to, uh, they just don't want to compete. So I think that what they do is they list it where they think it's worth. And that's why they have a little bit of higher days on the market. Do you have a niche? Do you specialize in some type of real estate? Yeah, do, I do a lot of REOs. I'd say 80% around there is probably REO business, a little bit less. How did you get into the REO business? I got into the REO business with, at the time, Countrywide, but now it's called Bank of America. Bank of America acquired them. So um, at the time, it was Countrywide. I got approached by a lender that said, hey, you know, have you heard about REOs? And I'm like, I don't know what REOs are. What do you mean? And he says, well, this is what they are. They, the bank will give them to you, give you a listing. And I said, okay, I, I don't know what this is, but no problem. I remember the bank gave me my first assignment, and I'm, I went to it, and it was a complete mess. I mean, they had concrete down the toilet bowl drains, and, I mean, it was just a trashed property. I'm like, what is going on here? Did, am I listing property, or what am I doing? And I kind of, I kind of got into it on accident. Not on accident, but I got into it, and... You know, I, I'm a very systemized person. So when the bank's like, you have to rekey the property, no problem. You have to do this. I kind of learned systems, and the bank was very systematized on what they wanted to do and what the requirements were. So the lender got me in with Countrywide at the time, um, now Bank of America, and I took my first property and I did it, and I used my traditional methods to get more business. You know, writing a personal note, calling the asset manager, hey, thanks so much. I can't thank you how much I, uh, you know, let you know how much I, I thank you for the the assignment, the new referral. I'd love to help you out more. And after I sold the first one, I'm like, man, I had five offers in eight days, and at that time, they, you know, REOs were just booming. I mean, you'd get tons of offers. And so people wanted a bank-owned property. That was right when the bank-owns came out. Everyone's like, what's a bank-owned? We want bank-owned. That's when REO came back. So when I did that, I'm like, wow, you know, it was a lot of work up front, but man, we got on the market and it sold and I like this. And so I use a lot of the traditional methods to get a lot of referral business and build up my rapport with the asset managers or with that asset manager, which led to other asset managers. So you started with Countrywide. Did you start doing BPOs or did you just start right in on your first listing? I received a list letter from um, a gal at the head of Countrywide at the time, and they said, uh, fill this out, have your broker sign it, and 
we'll be uh, we'll be ready to go. And we did that, and they gave me my first assignment. Not even I didn't even know what a BPO really was. And back then, they didn't have portals. They just had a form that you fill out and you email it back to them. Or actually, you didn't even email it. You faxed it back to them. It was really old school. And um, I was like, okay, I guess this is like I just fill stuff out, and you know, this is what I think it's worth. And I really didn't know. I mean, I was 20, what, 24? 24 or 23. 23 or 24. And I mean, I was young. I was still, I, was, I would really say I wasn't, I was taking my business seriously, but not as serious as I, I am now or I should have, you know? You got that property sold. You did a good job and, and more followed. Oh, it just, it, after I did that, I really, I wrote my ask manager a personal note. I called him. I thanked him. I said, hey, you can't, you don't know how I can thank you enough. I'd love to help you out more. You saw how good I did on this one. Give me more. Uh, let me show you what I can do. And he just started dumping properties on me, literally. Here you go. Here you go. Here's five today. Here's six today. Here's three today. Here's two today. Hey, take this and see what you can do. Hey, this one's not in your area, but uh, can you drive to it? I'm like, yeah, it's not really in my area. He goes, well, I'm giving you a lot of properties. Do me a favor. I'm like, sure. So I kind of had to jump full force into it, which I think a lot of REO agents, um, successful REO agents have have done. I mean, you never want to turn down business. So he just kept giving me business. And I'm like, I can always just hire. I can always hire and I can always refine my systems. And um, he just kept giving me more properties. And after that, then I said, oh, I like this bank owned thing. Let me apply for a different, a couple of different um, banks. And so I got on with, at the time, Fremont and Carrington, which they're no longer around. They got acquired by Lytton. So I got on with Carrington and Fremont and built rapport with those asset managers, flew down there, met with them, said, hey, this is who I am. You can put a picture with an email now, and I'm going to work hard. And, and I did other, you know, lunch and learns and things like that for these folks. But the real – I'd say I really, really got successful was when um, – Lytton acquired uh, Carrington and they acquired uh, Fremont. And at the time, the asset managers told me, like, we're getting acquired. I'm just letting you know. So we're just going to load. You are phenomenal, Tyler. We're going to load you up with so many properties right now where you're not even going to know what to do with yourself just because if they see you have a lot of properties, they'll know, they'll know that you are a high, high lister. And so I think they gave me like 30 properties in one day or something like that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I went out. I had to rekey them all with the, with the service field service. I had to do all of this work. And then Lytton the next day took – not the next day, two days later, took all of them but one little dinker. One little – I think it was $50,000 with a homeless person living in it. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And I remember looking at my assistant like, Oh, we just lost all those properties. Oh, that was a good ride, though, wasn't it? Woohoo! Yeah, baby, that was good. And we got a call from Lit, and they said, "Would you like this one property?" And we're like, "Sure, definitely." And we took the one. And what was nice is Litton paid three percent. Carrington and Fremont only paid, I think, at the time, two or two point five. So we got on with Litton, and um, I did my normal build rapport, work hard, do a phenomenal job. We got the homeless person out. He broke back in. We had to board up the property. We did a lot of different things. And I really, really built rapport with this asset manager and said, hey, I'm, you know I'm going to work hard. I'm up before anybody else is up. I'm up later than anybody else. I'm a workaholic. So if you're, you're going to get somebody on your side, you're going to get me. I'm going to work for you, and I'm going to make sure this property sells. Whatever you need your numbers to be, I'm going to make sure you hit your numbers. And that's how I was with every asset manager. And from there, we built rapport. He referred me to another asset manager who referred me to another asset manager. And at one time with Litton, I had over 100 assets just with Litton, and it was one of the most that they've ever given out besides somebody in Florida, from my understanding. So 
I was uh, managing quite a bit of assets for Lyft, and I would say they were my number one account um, at that time. And it was just because I really, really systemized everything to where it they were happy, we were happy, we made sure they hit their numbers, we hit our numbers, and it was a win-win. They knew my staff. I mean, we 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 flew in uh, my staff to meet them and everything. So I mean, it was a really really close relationship. But they knew we were all about business, and they can call me and they can go, Tyler, I can't sell this property. Another agent has it listed. It's two hours from your office. I know you'll sell it. I'm like, yeah, I'll take care of that. You know, I will. So what did I do? I'd go out, I'd grab the property, I'd take it, and we would sell it because I'd say, hey, this is what's wrong with it. This is what it's going to take. And I wasn't afraid to tell them what needed to be done. And I think a lot of people were just afraid to tell them what was wrong, you know. And I was like, no, 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 this is what's wrong. This is what we need to do. Trust me, it will sell. And it did. So, I mean, we sold a lot of difficult properties for them and for a lot of other asset management companies um, as well. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how it uh, it went from here to there and how it grew and and that from there, it kind of just took off, you know. How quickly did you hire your first staff member from the time you took that first REO? I already had an assistant. So I had an assistant before I even went to Buffini, which probably wasn't a good idea because it was like a young, hot assistant. Everyone knows, oh, I was like, I just want a really young, hot assistant. Like, that's what you think in real estate. And she was the worst. It was like everything I was bad at, she was bad at. I think I made her laugh, so I loved it because like, I love making people laugh. So I'd say a joke and she'd laugh. And I'm like, oh, I love this girl. She laughs at my jokes. I mean, this is awesome. And I hated doing paperwork and she hated doing paperwork. And I'm like, oh, that's not a problem. We'll figure it out. And it didn't work because I, we it just did not work because everything I hated doing, she was horrible at. And I need somebody to do the things I'm not great at. I'm not great at the paperwork. So I need someone who's going to be you know detail-oriented at the paperwork. She was not that person. So I had an assistant before I went to the turning point and before I got into REO. And then um, she went off to you know a different college, I think, at the time. And then I hired on a new gal who um, is phenomenal. She's my right-hand gal. And um, I hired her on right when we got our first assignment with um, – with at the time uh, Bank of America or um, Countrywide at the time. And when we did get on with them, Jennifer was with me, that's her name, and she really, she's been in real estate for 20 years, and she's like, hey, we're going to work this together. I know some things, you know a lot of newer things, I haven't been in it in a while, and from there we just really worked it, worked it, worked it, worked it, and we worked so well together. So that's, I had an assistant already. Now you've mentioned that you went out and personally met with these asset managers. Were they in your local market or did you have to go to them? I'd have to go to them. I'd have to fly out fly out to Texas, fly out to LA, fly out I mean, all you name it, I've I feel like I've been everywhere. So I've I've flown out and uh or flew out and, and met them and said, Hey, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna wanna come out and meet you so you can put a face to a, an email. Um just so I can, you know, see it, shake your hand, say hi, I don't wanna take much of your time. Uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to do anything, you know weird here. I just want to meet you. You know, you're, you're, you're someone I look up to. You, you really help us out. You help our business out. You keep my employees happy. You keep them employed. Uh, you know, we wouldn't be where we are without you. So if I can, I wouldn't be in the area. Um, and can I come by and stop by and meet you? And so that's what I would do. So we'd fly all over and I wouldn't take them with my whole team with me. Obviously they need to stay back and work. I was the face. Um, that they met, and so my team would still be running things back home, but I definitely would would go out and meet them, definitely. So how many trips out to asset managers do you think you've taken over the last few years? I couldn't even tell you, a ton. Do you think you go monthly? Oh, no, I wouldn't say monthly. Like, if I give an example, if I'm going to be... 
like uh, there was a bank that said, hey, come down. We'd love to meet you. I'm like, cool. So I'd go down there, and um, let's just say this was in Denver, Colorado. I knew that, okay, who else, what other asset managers do I know in Denver that I can go, hey, I'm going to be in the area. Can I stop by and say hi? I'd try to make my, my trip successful as far as stopping by. Or if I wanted to get on with a bank, I can go, okay, mm, who who do I want to get on with? Maybe I can stop by and tell them, hey, I'm in the area. I'd just like to introduce myself, drop off a little information about myself. So, And sometimes it wouldn't go well. I mean, there's times we'd go out and <laughs> they'd say, no, you, you can't come here. You know, we're working. It's like, I just want to stop by, say hi, you know, and you just want to stay in front of people. It's just like a lot of people look at it like, how do you get on with REOs or how do you do REOs? It's what you've learned with regular sales as far as if I'm doing traditional sales, I'm in front of my clients. I'm stopping by their house. Hey, how's it going in the area? Just stopping by to say hi. How's Sally Sue and the dog doing? Great. And you move on. It's the same exact thing with asset managers and and, and banks. If you're in the area, hey, I'm just stopping by saying hi. You know, I always bring something, you know, a packet about myself, you know, maybe market statistics for my area. But, um, you know, my mom always said, go, you know, go to somebody's house or go meet somebody with one hand longer than the other because you're carrying something. So it's the same tra- the same thing you use for traditional real estate, but you're just tailoring it to asset, man- asset managers, you know. How did you find out who they were? How did you get a, a list of asset managers? You kind of just know who the big banks are. You can go... Okay, where's First American, or now it's called CoreLogic. So where's CoreLogic at? You know, where's Bank of America located? Where's Litton located at? Where's Fannie Mae, Freddie Mae? Where are all these people located at? You know, you can Google, you know, REO Property Bank Asset Managers, and it'll come up with, you know, tons of types of banks or banks. And what you do is you you just, you know, keep You have to stay consistent. If you just go and you get punched out once and you give up, you're probably not going to get on, but if you stay persistent, it's like, hey, you know, give me a chance. Hey, throw a dog a bone. Hey, hey, it's me again. Surprise. You know, it's just you got to stay consistent, and you never know. They might have a property that's been on the market for 95 to 100 days and go, we can't sell it with, you know, this agent over here. Here you go. Here's your here's your chance. Show me you can sell this. And you might get that one property, you sell it, and guess what? They fall in love with you. And the only reason you got it was because you were, you know, consistent. You were always on top of your game, always trying to, you know, stay in front of them. So that's kind of, I mean, you just you can Google them. I mean, you can talk, you can go, and there's tons of forums, and there's all sorts of ways to find out banks. And I don't, I didn't get to have a list. I would just sit there and say, what banks do I want to get on with and, and target them, you know, if you wanted to get on with Bank of America, I'd say, okay, Bank of America, how do you get on with that? I'd put a picture of Bank of America in my office. We really want to go to the Bank of America. How do we do that? How do we do that? Who do we mean to meet? Who do I need to talk to? Let me call out other Keller Williams agents in the nation, the top REO agents, and call them. Hey, Leo, would, are you on Bank of America? What's going on? You don't know? Hey, Tom Daves, what's going on? Are you on Bank of America? You know, what's really going on here? Um, you know, and do they know anything? They might know something that you don't, or they may say, I don't know anyone at Bank of America, but guess what? I know someone at Precision, Precision Asset, Ma- Asset Management. So give this person a call. Great. Hey, and then you call them. It's just like that. It's networking. And once you find out a name, what do you do? Do you call them? Do you email them? Do you write them a letter? Do you, you've said you go in person. All of the above. Call them. Email them. If they're local, I'm not going to fly out to Texas just to meet a cold prospect. <laughs> That's not what I'm telling you. Uh, it's not the highest and best use of your time or your money. Um, you know, you'd, you'd call them, 
you you'd email them, you'd send them, you know, some information about yourself. Hey, this is what I've done. This is my statistics. Here's my resume. And you're not going to send me a resume from Cattleman Steakhouse. You're going to send me a resume from real estate. And you know, this is how many assets I've done, or this is how many assets I've sold. Or this is these are the current banks I work with. These are some testimonials from banks that I've worked with. And you just have to stay persistent. You know, think about what they they might be looking for. You know, you might find that a house is going in foreclosure, and you look. And you find out it's with, let's just say, precision asset management. And you go, okay, they're going to be the note holder when it forecloses. Hey, this might be coming your way. Um, if it does, let me know. It's right in my backyard. I'd love to help you out. You know, and that's where you would. Uh, that's how you can build rapport. They may go, sorry, you already gave it to somebody else. But at least they know you're proactive. They know you know what's going on. You know. Currently, how many asset managers and banks are you working with? We're dealing with a lot of outsourcers. A lot of these companies, these larger banks, have outsourced um, just because of the market and because California knows with the hold on foreclosures. So they're not there's not as many foreclosures as there used to be. I would say. Um, so we've to, we've it's kind of crazy. Like to give you an example, um, one of the our larger companies that we were with, they outsourced to four different companies just depending on the portfolio so we were with one company making great great a great percentage but then we got outsourced to four other companies because we had properties with four different asset managers which they managed four different portfolios so one client turned into five because one outsourced and then you have the new four banks so you have to build all brand new rapport you take a little bit of a haircut which is not a problem we get it and um you know, now you not only have your, your one just turned into four. You build rapport with them. You take care of them like you did, and it might be banks, you know, or or outsourcers that you haven't worked with before, which you can build rapport on for future business. So, I mean, I, to give you a number, I I couldn't even give you a number. Fifteen, maybe more, twenty. I don't know. It sounds like there's a lot of change. They have to be very flexible and go with the flow. Is that correct? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean. You have to think when they're at the time when Ario was super busy, the bank, I mean, it, it happened so fast to the banks that they didn't, uh, you know, necessarily have maybe possibly, they possibly didn't have systems in place. So they were going very, very quickly. But also, if you understand, us agents were going very, very quickly. So everyone's had to put systems and things in place so quickly. And then when it slowed down a little bit, now structure and rules and regulations happen, especially because the government gets involved. So um, now you have to change. I mean, even though we are slower now with REO than we were a year, two, or three years ago, we're not slow, but we're slower. There's so much more work involved because you're doing weekly inspections, you're doing checks, you have to make sure you, you call out health and safety issues from day one instead of during the BPO stage. They not only get one, they only not only want one bid but two bids, but on occasion they want three or four, and they want them signed by the 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 contractor, dated. It has to have like six different criteria on this bid. We have to understand before people took advantage of it. They would have their brother being a contractor, and you know the the brothers hacking up the price. That's why they're 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 making a lot of different regulations because a lot of people took advantage of that market and took advantage of, advantage of the banks. So you can imagine getting a contractor to change and say, hey, I need it in a PDF version. I need it typed out. I need your letterhead on it. I need it signed with a license number and insurance. I mean, it went from from not needing much to get a bid approved to we need a double we need everything up up in the the system 
with all this information and we need to call the contractor to verify that they're not related to you. And I mean, it completely changed. So yeah, I would say you have to adapt to change and you can't be, have an ego or you can't have, um, you know, you can't be, you know, some cocky person because, you know, the, whatever the bank says goes, pretty much goes. And you have to really adapt and, 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 and understand what they're looking for. They're looking for, you know, they want to reduce holding time, minimize expenses and get the highest possible price. That's their three goals. And you have to understand these asset managers get paid on a bonus on some of them if they close during that month. So if it closes on, if it's scheduled to close on the 6th of January, you know that you're going to be calling that agent every day and that lender to close early, close early, close early, close early, because guess what? That asset manager may want that bonus and you may you want to look good at that asset manager. So I want to be known as the agent that always pushes other agents to close early so the asset manager gets a bonus. That's my goal. I want to make sure that asset manager can hit his numbers. So we'll get, we got a call yesterday. Hey, I really, really need you to push this one to close this month. I know it's not close to the 10th of next month, but I need it for my numbers. Hey, no problem. We're going to do it. We'll do whatever it takes. So what do we do? We call the lender. Hey, are you doing this now? We're more on top of it. We're pushing them. We're calling them every day, giving them pressure because we want to try to hit that goal for our ass manager. So you've got to be, be able to change and adapt. If you don't like to be controlled or have um, somebody overlook, overlooking your shoulder, your eye, don't get into REO because that's what they're going to be doing. You're going to be doing weekly checks to make sure your properties look good, and guess what? They're going to hire some undercover person to do weekly checks to make sure your properties actually do look good. How many assignments do you think you get each month? Right now we're a little bit low. I'd say about 16 to 20. Um, typically it would be 40 or right around there. So we're about about 40% less than we were typically used to. So it's a little bit slower. Have the banks started to limit how many assignments you can have at any given time? Yes and no. You know, I, I think a, a lot of uh, people say, they're, oh, people are playing favorites and it's not fair. And um, it's tough because you go, you know, you know it, it is fair if we're doing a good job. If we're not doing a good job, then yeah, it, it's probably not fair. But if we're doing a good job, I'll, I'll tell you, if I was doing a bad job and this asset manager knew I wasn't doing a good job, I don't think they'd be giving me more business. Um, you know, that's the whole point. If you do a good job, I think they're giving me business because they know that I'm going to get the deal closed and that, you know what, they can just give it to me and not have to worry. They know I'm going to, I'm going to be an A type personality on this property, making sure it closes and everything is legit. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, definitely they're, they're putting limits on things. And sometimes you can say, Hey, I've, I've, you have to kind of sell yourself. You know, hey, look, at I've got this staff, this staff, this staff. I've got all my staff lined up. We're ready. We can take on more assignments. Can you increase our, our cap from 20 assignments at one any given time to 30? Or, you know, and they may go, oh, I can get to 35, but not 40. Or, you know what I mean? So it just depends on, on, on the bank, yes, and on uh, if you're geared up for it. Because, hey, that's their portfolio. They get paid and feed their family based upon the closings and the um, the outcome of that portfolio. Most of the REOs that you're selling today, are they sold as you receive them, or are you doing repairs and fix-up work? A couple different processes. You get the assignment. It's called, um, it goes right into, um, you have to do your occupancy check. If it's occupied, it goes into evictions right away. And you have to do cash for keys, or they get evicted out. Then after they're out, it's in pre-list stage. And what we're doing is, we're going in, seeing what repairs have to be done and whatnot, 
And then what it does is from pre-list, it goes into evaluation stage of when it's ready to be listed and we turn in our BPO. And then from evaluation stage, it goes into listed stage and then listing the pending and pending the sold. So, um, yeah, we're doing repairs. We're doing, you know, BPOs, getting contractors out there for bids, cash for keys, uh, working with attorneys to, to, for evictions. I mean, there's, it's, it's not an easy process. There's quite a bit that you have to go through. And are most of your banks and asset managers, are they having you fix up these properties or are they selling them as they are? It, it depends on how we structure our BPO. If we recommend repairs, we, we, typically what we do is I always typically will recommend repairs if it makes sense, um, if they're going to net more. Right now, I mean, you get a property that's over $400,000, most likely I'm going to recommend repairs because for someone to pay $400,000 cash, it has to be a great deal because it's probably going to be an investor property or somebody who's just saved up a lot of money. But typically, let's just take a $400,000 property. I'd say definitely we'd probably want to recommend repairs um, based upon if it's going to be the best cost analysis. So you have to look at what's going to be the best uh, figure for the bank, whether are they going to net the most repaired or as is. You're seeing some that are repaired and some are sold as is. Exactly. But most of them, I'd say, the banks are going as is because it costs them less money and they're tight on... I found that this last past year, they've been tighter on money. So, uh, you know, we got to really, really sharpen up on our BPOs, uh, make them sharp. I shouldn't say sharpen up, but we have to sharp our, sharpen our BPOs to make sure that they are really, really, you know, pertaining to this is why we have to tell them, you know, this is really, really why we, we would recommend it being repaired. And if it makes sense to them, if it do makes dollars, it makes sense, I'd say that. Are most of the buyers that you're seeing in these REO properties, are they investors or owner-occupied? Both. It depends on the price point, but you're getting both. But I'd say it's, it's a mixture. Um, I'd say 50-50. You mentioned a concept called lunch and learn. What is that? Well, there's a, a couple different things. So when you go out, let me give you an example. When you go out and... Um, educate people you can do two there's two types of audiences i always look at there are the general public and then there are asset managers so what we do is we do things called lunch and learns and you have to be creative you don't want to show up and do a lunch and learn and not be prepared i want my lunch and learns one to be a little bit funny because i don't want to be boring and two i want them to be successful so if i'm doing a lunch and learn for let's just say the general public let's pick intel we have a large company here at intel We'd go by and say, we'd love to do lunch and learn. Who wants to learn about real estate? We're learn throwing a real estate seminar. We're going to tell you guys all about the real estate market, what's going on. Everyone, the problem is everyone's like an under undercover agent. You're like, they, they, are you in real estate or not? Yes. Oh, I wouldn't even have known that. The problem is they're like undercover agents. They're not telling anybody. And the problem is right now, people want to know about real estate more than ever. They want to know what's going on. I get asked all the time, are you in real estate? Yes. What is going on? You know, is the market up? Is it down? When's it going to recover? Everyone wants to know about real estate, especially in your current market. So if you go to like to Intel and you go, hey, I'd love to throw a seminar for your, your employees, whether one shows up or 50, I'm going to provide lunch. Um, you know, I'm going to cater in some lunch and we'll have some food and they can learn about real estate. It's on their own lunch break. So you lose nothing. It's an added benefit that you can provide to your, your, your employees. So what you do is you, you get Chipotle or we did, you usually do like Chipotle or, um, 
or pizza, and we take the pizza box. We have a custom pizza box that has me on it, uh, my goofy face, and it says, like, we deliver, and it says, uh, you know, learning about real estate, the lunch and learn. So, one, you're kind of tailoring the pizza box. It doesn't say, like, round table or pizza hut. It says, you know, my name, my company, and we hand out brochures, and we tell them, hey, this is what's going on in the market, and what, do you, what questions do you have? We usually have a long question and answer. And you can tailor that same thing to asset management companies of, hey, this is what's going on in the real estate market. Let, let us show you. Let us tell you. This is what's going on in the Sacramento area market. This is what we're finding. This is what we're finding that's a struggle for us in REO. You know, maybe it's, hey, we tell you to list it at 300 and you guys listed it at 350 And so guess what? You're really affecting our days on market. So why is it you guys listed over? Can you give me a, a reason why? Or how can I better our, how can I better myself? So you just, whether it's an, a client or it, whether it's a, uh, a general public, you have to tailor them to each one. So that's kind of what we do with Lunch and Learns. How often do you do a Lunch and Learn? Oh, it depends, but I'd say once a quarter at least, the minimum. And has that been generating business? Oh, definitely. I mean, one, it's nice because just as much as the general public wants to know about the real estate and the real estate market, guess what? Asset managers do too. They know about it. They see it because they're working it, but they also want to know about your market and go, hey, this is what's going on in Sacramento. These are the problems we're finding. This is what we're finding with evictions. This is what we're finding with pre-list. Hey, you know what? This is what we're finding with the contractors because you know, they just changed their guidelines to we're, you have two contractors and then we're going to hire a third-party vendor who does a contractor. Well, the third-party vendor is not bidding apples to apples. So they might be bidding and it's not apples to apples. And the problem with that is if it's not Apple to Apple, my two bids don't match his bid because he's bidding carpet paint and linoleum when I'm bidding a roof, uh, you know, a kitchen and, you know, a bathroom toilet. They're not apples to apples. So they, I'd say they're successful in both cases because ask managers learn. One, they think, you know, wow, Tyler really is on his game and I can kind of, you know, do a little puff piece of what we do and why we're, we're, this is how our system works. This is why it works so well. And it's a way to get in, do, introduced to other ask managers. If, if you have, 30 asset managers there and you only work with five of them and you know let's just say adam's one of them and i go hey i work with adam ask him how i did and adam will stand up hey he does great he's my number one guy my go-to you guys got to use him next you know you just open yourself up to possibly another asset manager and when you do the general public usually you have somebody in there that oh this is what's going on and they really feel and they really understand how you're doing so i mean i think you definitely can get more business from it if you are prepared and work it right and how many people typically showed up? General public, we'd have 10 to 70. And, you know, when you do lunch and learns for the companies, it just depends. I mean, you really, I usually try to talk to, you know, somebody who runs the office and say, I'd like to tell you guys what's going on at the market. So a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the bank-owned property people would show up, a lot of the asset managers. Do you have a lot of asset manager companies there in Sacramento, or are you traveling and then doing those? Oh yeah, you got to travel. You know, we have some asset management companies here, but it's very far and few. So um, no, you you got to travel when you do it. Definitely, I mean, it just depends. I mean, they typically don't come to you, so you kind of got to go to them and you you set it up and you know it has to be a win-win. I mean, we're, am I there for business? I want to get more business, but I really just want to maintain the relationship I have. And, you know, show them that how can I improve? How can my team do better? You know, what can we do to, 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 you know, to service your, your assets better? And, you know, this is what, these are the, the problems, the challenges we find. This is what we see out in the market and things like that. It's really just education, you know.
for both these groups, the general public and asset manager, you're typically doing it at their office. Are you doing it in a cafeteria room, a, a meeting room? They usually have big conference rooms and big offices and big like tra- training centers and stuff. It just depends. Is your presentation, do you have a PowerPoint? Are you handing out documents? It's not really that formal. They come in and I tell them, you know, hey, I'm Tyler Smith. This is who I am. This is my team. A little bit about me. These are some of the asset managers within your company we work with. Hey, this is what's going on in our market. These are the challenges we find. This is what we see. Is this your home? And we sh- we'll show them a picture of a, a, a property that's been totally neglected. This, is this your home? Do you really know what your home looks like? You know, we, we drive around properties all the time. This is what we do with our properties. We want to make sure that, guess what? We want to get the irrigation system going because we want green grass. You may not think it's a big deal, but guess what? It's like food. The first bite you take with food on a plate is with your eyes. It's exactly the same exact thing with buyers. Buyers look at the front landscaping. It's the first thing they look at. If they think, oh, wow, it sets the mood different. We want these properties to be very, very appealing from when they step out of the car all the way to when they get back in the car. So we just, we just educate them on little, little tips and tricks and things that we do and things we recommend. You know, hey, we have dead grass in the summer. This one doesn't have it. Maybe we can, you know, paint the grass green or something. You know, it, hey, it looks better. You know, there's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different you know, tactics and strategies and a lot of things that go into the presentation with us. So, yeah. How do you get the word out to make sure people are going to show up? Do you have them RSVP? Do you put out flyers? Do you put out emails? How do you get the word out there and how do you know how many people are going to show up? Okay, if you're talking about a the general public, you do marketing and you have they have to RSVP. So that's how you know how many people are coming for the general public. If you're going to like Intel, obviously you're passing out flyers to them. Typically when you, you bring food, people come. It's just like agents. When vendors bring food, like a, a title company, it's like we, we're like, bam, we're all there and there's not enough food. But if they had a meeting with no food, people come to food. I don't know why. People love food. We all have to eat. Exactly. When you mentioned that you deliver pizzas, is is this what you were talking about? Yeah, we will. We'll, our lunch and learn. We might bring pizza. Um, you know, even our typical sellers, typical typical buyers. On, um, if, let's just say you were a buyer of mine. We have a checklist that has to be done by my buyers, buyer's agents. You know, we have a form that's all about you form. So we kind of do that with a lot of different people. But let's just say you're a buyer. We have an all about you form. You fill it out. Do you have kids? What are your kids' birthdays? Do you have dogs? What are their names? What are your hobbies? Um, if you were going to go eat at a restaurant, what restaurant do you go to? Um, do you have a financial advisor? Do you have an accountant? Do you have a lender? Who are they and what would you rank them 1 to 10? So it's a, a information about all about them. And what we do is we want to take that form and we want to tailor it to our escrow checklist. So if they have kids, it's like, great, hey, here I made some little baggies that have Tyler Smith's logo on them and the Smith team logo on them. Give these to your kids. They got little snack packs in them. Oh, they're coming in the car. Great, I got a little cooler full of, you know, Capri Suns. And, you know, Capri Sun has Tyler's logo and stuff on it. And um, we'll go. Oh, you have dogs here. I brought a little doggy treat bag for Jimmy. You know, you said you had a, a Rottweiler, and these are supposed to be great for Rottweilers. It's in a little bag that says the Smith Team dog treats. Um, you know, on um, what we do is we'll give them uh, moving. Um, 
box labels. So hey, I know you're moving. Here's some boxes. You can they have our logo on them. You can use them for packing. Here's also some logo, some um, labels you can you can put on you know um, dresser or food or or um, you know master bedroom junk, whatever you want to put that have our logo on them. You know, let's do just moved cards. Let's do um, return address labels for them. Let's do uh, when they're moving day. We want to find out if when they're moving and if they're moving. What we want to do is we want to um, bring pizza to them on moving day with our logo. So those are the things that we really, really, you know, try to do and we really, really want to do. So you're plastering your name and logo everywhere you can think of and making sure that whatever that product is that's going to help your customer gets in their hands. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's more about that. That's called branding. I'd call that branding. But what it's about is not many agents, I mean, I can go grab the checklist. I should have grabbed it, but not many agents are doing these things. I can go down the checklist. We have a 32-point escrow checklist that when we're in a pending transaction, these things have to be done by my buyer's agent, and I have to sign off that they were done. And I guarantee you that I'd say 90% plus of agents aren't doing those things. One, they go, it's too much. I, I teach a class on it, and they go, this is just too much stuff. I mean, come on already. It's like, do you want to get referral business? Do you want to build? Do you want to go from making a living to making a fortune? This is how it's going to be done. If you're okay with where you're at, then that's fine. But if you really, really want to transform your business and, and get two or three referrals from each buyer that you work with, that's how it's going to be done. And we tailor it the same way to asset managers and, and sellers. I mean, you have to do what other agents aren't doing. And because what everyone's doing works, but not works. I, I want to put a system on steroids. I really, really want it to be um, you know, very, very effective. And I want people to go, man, I mean, my agent's throwing me a housewarming party. Is yours? No. Hey, look at these return address label boxes he gave me. Oh, I didn't get those. Hey, he showed up on movie day with pizza with his funky face on there. It's funky, but it's kind of cool. I mean, I want people, I want people to remember me. And if they think of real estate, they're thinking of me, Hey, my, my, my agent delivered pizza on moving day. Did yours? I mean, I want them to talk about me. I don't want them to be quiet. I don't, I'm not a quiet agent. And are you getting the results? Are you getting referrals back in from that work? Definitely. My buyer's agent's required to do these things. It's in our contract, and she's getting massive results and referrals from it. I mean, huge results. I mean, if if I went through and I should have brought it, but if I I'll send it to you after, so you can do um, if you want to use it for whatever purposes. But um, this checklist that you have to have, the checklist that I'm referring to. It's massive. If you did all these items, you have a walking, talking Salesforce advocate on your side who's going to refer the heck out of you. And that's your goal. The best type of business is referral business. You don't have to go out there and do open houses. You don't have to go out there and, and, and buy ads. If someone calls you up and says, hey, my aid, the, this person said you did a phenomenal job for them, and I don't want pizza, but I want chicken. I mean, <laughs> or whatever. You know that we get those calls all the time. You, you sent, you gave her a little doggy treat bag. It's like, oh yeah, we must have gave her a doggy treat bag. It's like, of course we did. So there's a lot of different tactics and 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 strategies that we we use while we're before we're in escrow and while we're in escrow. I mean give you one example that's huge we've trained our lender our local lender to say hey we're going to give you as much business as we can but you have to really do a couple favors for us so when i refer you you know billy bob and billy bob calls and says hey tyler refer me you go oh my gosh you're working with tyler you are going to be in great hands hey he's they're the best company in the sacramento county uh he's one of the best agents it's it's kind of a brag piece and you don't want eight clients to hear this but my age my my lender 
talks me up when I refer her to this uh, buyer or seller so they know they're working with somebody great. And so I've trained my, my, my reps, my vendors, whether it's a title company, an escrow company, a lender, a home warranty company, I've trained them to do these things um, because guess what? It just reassures that they made the right decision. It just make, it reassures that, man, I'm working with one of the best, baby. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to work with one of the best? And when they get that reassurance, it's phenomenal because you can't really brag about yourself. But if somebody else does, it gives you great, great, great credibility. And what also is, is nice is, like for the lender, typically a lender, you go to a lender's house and you go, okay, great. And what happens? They give you a pre-approval and they go, you're approved. And they go, oh, wonderful. This is how much you can buy. I want it to be a celebration. If they drink, let's pop a bottle of champagne. Let's have a celebration. You've got approved. Come on. It's a party. Now we get to go shopping. It's a big deal. We make it a big deal because we want referrals. That was your escrow checklist. Did you say you also have a listing checklist? I have, it's, the bo- it's both. It either pertains to the listing side or the um, or the buyer side, which I have both of them. So it, the, it's, for the sellers, it's the same type of thing. It's just tailored a tiny bit different. Yeah, that'd be fantastic if you want to afford that. We'll post that and folks can take a look. Definitely, definitely. Let's keep talking about business generation. Do you do press releases? Definitely. Um, we're working with one right now, especially with the 30 under 30. Um, you know, that's a huge, you know, huge recognition and a huge deal. So um, we do press releases all the time. We have somebody who writes them. We also um, publish them as, as much as we can in national and also local newspaper publications. And then like um, doing little things like uh, uh, there's an organization that interviewed me for young entrepreneurs and they help young kids at an organization called one life fully lived.org and what they do is they will they put me on their front page and they did an interview kind of like what we're doing and so what we'll do is we'll put that on our facebook we'll put that on our twitter and then we'll do a press release on it on our blog and it's just always trying to stay above because when people google you they'll find oh wow he's here he's there he's part of this organization he's part of this he's part of mastermind agent he's part of, i mean it's you always want to make sure that People always know what's going on with you, that you're a very active person. If they Google you and you don't have any information, I mean, it's kind of tough. I mean, in this world, you want people to know and be able to find anything and everything about you, especially if you're trying to market yourself and get business. Your objective is to make sure that when someone types your name into Google, they'll see all these references back to you from third parties. Oh, yeah. You type in Tyler Smith, Sacramento, the Smith team, Sacramento, Tyler's. Smith Premier Properties, whatever. I want to. I want to show them. You know. Hopefully, when we're done with this interview, well, I'll tag myself in this interview, and that'll show as well. You know. You always want to just make sure your followers or your your following or your people do that. And by doing that, you just want to make sure that you you stay on top of doing normal, you know, regularly regular press releases and um, and marketing yourself. Definitely. Have you worked the short sell side of the market? Yeah, we um, actually my buyer's agent does a lot, and she's a buyer's agent, but she um, does a lot of the negotiation for the short sales. She's phenomenal at it. She's up early like me, so she does the short sale negotiation in the morning because everyone's on different time zone as far as banks go, and then she does her shows buyers in the um, you know the daytime in the evening. So it works out perfect. But yeah, we definitely do uh, a little bit of short sales. How do you generate the short sale business? A lot of different ways. Um, there's, um, I learned this from an actual, uh, another 30 under 30 um, honoree, and he said what he does is he pays 10 cents per door 
and for retirees, and they'll go walk around the neighborhood and drop off door hangers. It says, like, is your house upside down? We can help and things like that. So door hangers are going on maybe a 1,000 doors a month, and you pay 10 cents a door. And it's you put an ad in the paper, you know, retired, work, and walk at the same time or work, get paid to, to to walk every day or something. All they're doing is walking and dropping off flyers and they would have probably already been doing that, you know? Do you use the door hangers? Oh, definitely. Most definitely. We just started that program up about three months ago and it's been working out really, really great, getting quite a bit of response and quite a bit of uh, calls coming in. We can't help everybody. You know, certain people might go, hey, we're foreclosing in three days. It's like, ah, we can't really help you out there, you know. But um, definitely it's it's been a huge, huge, huge uh, marketing campaign for us, yeah. And you're just hanging those on a mass area of doors. You're not targeting a certain property to hang that on. It'd be too hard to target just a certain property because you're going to go this house and then drive and go this house. You just have to hit every house because I'd say more than – 80% around there are upside down. So even if they're not missing their payments, they may go, I have not missed my payments, but gosh, I owe a, a million and my house is worth 550. Hey, let's help you. You know, are you, are you kind of, you know, how, do you have a hardship? What's going on? And you, you kind of just engage and start the conversation that way. Are you working with first time home buyers? My buyer's agents are working with uh, first time home buyers. Definitely. How are you generating that business? We're doing first-time home buyer seminars, so it's the same type of thing to the general public. You do marketing for it, you do press releases on it, you you do advertisement, you set up a first-time home buyer seminar, and uh, you you know you do a presentation, and you teach people kind of what it looks like from buying a house from A to Z. Where are you doing those? At our local office, um, we'll rent out a hall if it's big enough at a hotel. Um, in their um, banquet room, it just depends on the size that actually um, RSVPs. What kind of response are you getting? How many people typically show up? Ten to a hundred. It just depends. It's it, it, it's a hit or miss, and it depends on the time, on the day. Thursdays, we found Thursdays later on in the day are always greater, 6.30, 7. And, um, you know, if you do that, you get a big response. I mean, we did one, I don't know, months ago, and we had 45 people. Which 45 people is great. You have 45 people show up. You have a lender there um, in case they have any questions. You have a credit repair specialist in case they have bad credit. And you have a title um, company that you say, hey, we're going to try to use you on this business if you can do the check-in and take all the information, you know? Are you generating business out of those? Oh, definitely. I mean, you're not going to get 40 buyers that want to buy. What we're going to do is you're going to get – you have to think about it. You always got to help out the people that help you out. So you're generating business for your lender, and they can, uh, you know, take care of the, some of that cost, depending if you do it there or off-site. Your title company and a credit repair specialist. So if you team up with the right people, one, it can be great as far as cost-effective goes. But now you, you, you as an agent, you don't, you're getting a qualified buyer because guess what? They've already gone through the credit repair specialist to the lender to now the lender's calling you going, hey, guess what? Jim and Sally are ready to buy from the first-time home buyer seminar. We got their credit up. We got them pre-approved. They're ready to go shopping. So really, you, you do the presentation, but you leave it to your vendors to really do the work until they're ready to go. And we found huge success with that, definitely. How are you targeting those folks? Direct mail to apartment complexes. To um, You post something at the bulletin, like there's a, a couple private colleges here or trade colleges. You go post at the bulletin there. Um, you do a local newspaper advertisement. 
um, blog about it, Facebook. Facebook is huge. You put it on Facebook, you tell refer a friend, uh, you know, refer a friend and we'll give you a free iPad. Everyone's going referring a friend, I'll give you a free iPod. You know, everyone's referring a friend or everyone is going to be um, you know, forwarding that link. And when they do, hey, it's just getting mass volume as far as advertisement goes. And what it costs you, a $100 iPod or $500, $400 iPad, you know? How often do you do those first-time buyer seminars? Not enough. <laughs> uh, probably should be doing them more. It's just uh, you have to make sure you're set up for them and you do it right because if you don't set it up perfectly – it's not going to go well. If you don't really, really spend time, energy, and effort on advertising that and in marketing that, you have a no-show. You have now a lender there. You have um, possibly you know, you know, some soft drinks. You have print material that you printed. You have a credit repair specialist there. And you might, if you're doing it off-site, you know, sometimes you have to book these places off-site in advance, so they might require a $800, $900 upfront fee. I mean, it's you have to think. You want to make it to be cost-effective. Like like we think for the banks, we have to think for ourselves. If it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealG TV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. So are you doing these once a month, once a year? I'd say three or four times a year. I would like to do them eight to ten times a year. And you have to also understand that you have to make sure that you have the buyer's age, a buyer's agent or buyer's agents that can handle that type of business. Because you, you need to make sure you have a team. It, it all goes back to your team. If you don't feel 100% confident with your team as far as the buyer's agents go, or even if you are a buyer's agent thinking about doing this yourself, can you take on those buyers? Are you ready, willing, and able to take them on and give them the courtesy of what they, what they deserve? For my buyer's agent, if I hold this seminar, if we have 40 people who come, are you prepared to show 40 people homes if they're all ready? I mean, are you ready for that? Are you ready to do the 32-point checklist that I that I require you to do for all these people? Because I don't want you just to show them a property. We do a checklist, and these have to be done because that's how you get business. Well, let's say she does that checklist on 30 people. Can she take on – what if they all gave her two referrals? Can she take that on? Now, you can always hire more buyers agents and things like that, but you really want to make sure you're geared up to do something like this or you're ready because it could be great and you can get tons of business, or it could not be great because you didn't do it right. Now you just wasted time, energy, and effort. Back on business generation, did I hear you mention something about ice cream truck? Oh, Yeah. This is a really cool feature, especially since it's summertime now. It gets really hot here in California. We, I think yesterday was like, I don't know, 102, 101. So it's pretty hot. So it's pretty neat because there's a couple different ways you can do it. So I know uh, a local um, print company, they do stickers and, and banners, and they deck out cars. Well, I, I'll maybe rent a, uh, an ice cream truck for the day or call an ice cream guy and say, hey, uh, anything in here I'm going to purchase. Don't worry. You're going to show up. I'm going to have this designer guy, you know, put this little skin thing over your truck or a magnet that says, you know, the Smith team ice cream, um, you know, crawl or the Smith team ice cream day or free ice cream day or whatever it is. We always typically will try to pick a theme. And um, 
you go, hey, guess what? We're going to be at your office around this time. It might be a client. It might be. It could be a ton of. You can do it towards. Do it towards a ton of different people. But let's just say I called a client that worked at an office that had 500 employees. Hey, we're doing this. All, I'm doing this for all my favorite clients. Tell all your people at work come down at four or three or right before the day ends. I'm going to have an ice cream truck. Tell them to take their break. They're going to want to because it's unlimited ice cream free. And what you do is on the ice cream bars, you have your thing, uh, your your card to each of them, and it's just another way of getting out there. So imagine you go to an office that has 50 people, and you have an ice cream truck that says it's Tyler, the Smith team, and you go down and you're standing outside. You're like, hey, how's it going? Oh, yeah, I know Jim. I just sold him a house a year ago. He's great. He's one of my favorite clients. Jim comes down, Jim, this is awesome. I'm glad that your your office is enjoying free ice cream. It's free ice cream day. You won the free ice cream day deal and you know, enjoy, enjoy. And it's another way to market yourself. You're staying in front of people. I was picturing you going through neighborhoods, but you're going to offices. No, I'm going to offices because guess what? You want typically you don't know what's going on in a neighborhood. You might find renters, you don't know what the geographics are for that neighborhood. For a worker, if I if I know I have an attorney client, I'm going to his office, I'm dealing with attorneys, I'm dealing with paralegals, I'm dealing with uh, business people or people on a higher level, which necessarily might give me a higher price point, because all of our goals are to hire our, our average sales price. That's a way to do it. You go after the big the, the big clients, you know. I wouldn't recommend calling an attorney company and go, hey, we're going to stop by between this hour and this hour. Find a client and go towards them. And it won't maybe start with an attorney. It might start with, um, you know, a restaurant or something. I don't know. But it might start with something small and build up to something. You want to make sure your client, I mean, how do you think your client's going to feel when you show up and it's like, oh, Jim's my favorite client, man. He is my favorite client. I want to do this for him. Then you guys all get to reap the benefits. You know, enjoy ice cream. It's hot outside. Grab one. You know, grab two. Come on. Here you go. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're building relationships with, with other like-minded people because I tell my clients, hey, I want to know I want to know all the great people you know because you're great to work with. I want to work with other great people just like you because you're phenomenal to work with. You're one of my favorite clients. Who doesn't want to hear that and then who doesn't want to refer you off of that, you know? It's going to be the talk of the town when they're all on their lunch break tomorrow. We got that ice cream and hey, did you see what's his name kind of slips coming down the stairs getting ice cream because he wanted it so bad. I mean, you kind of want to create those type of those type of situations. By focusing on the client, you actually bring the focus back to you and your relationship. Oh yeah. I, even if I, even if I spent some money and deepened the relationship with my client, that's the main thing. But you know now that if I'm doing that, what those other employees are doing. If they have a real estate agent they're working with at that time, I'm like, my agent's not doing this. What the heck? Come on. He said he was the best. He's not even. I, Jim's over here with his ice cream truck. You know. <laughs> I mean, you got you, whatever you think you're doing now. Tailor it to do what nobody else is doing. You're not getting ice cream trucks to other people. Aren't pulling up with ice cream trucks to offices. And on a hot day, who doesn't want it? You want hot cocoa? Guess what? I'm bringing a, a, a barista or whatever those are called. I'm bringing one of those portable coffee things. Guess what? It's latte uh, latte Thursday. Come on down. I got free lattes. I'm here. Right? Guess what? As you go into your office, tell everybody before they go in not to get coffee today because Tyler, my realtor, is going to be there at 7 a.m from 7 to 8.30 with free coffee. You know what I mean? Who wouldn't want to do that, you know? Well, this is a great idea, this ice cream truck. How long have you been doing it? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe three years? I have no idea. How often do you take the truck out? Not enough. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. 
usually summer is when I, uh, I I try to get out and uh, you know spend a little do a little R and R and um, I don't do it as much as I should, um, which I'm, I always say. So um, I would like to do it. Two a week would be awesome if if I have great great clients to do them to. I mean, it is a, an expense. You know, you have to. The ice cream truck doesn't care because come on, they drive around you know the the, the neighborhood all day long for free until somebody buys ice cream. So that doesn't cost you anything. Um, but you know, you have to prepare those ice creams. You have to put your business card on them. You have to make things effective. See, if you don't make it effective, that's the whole point. You want them to take that business card that you staple on that ice cream. And you want them to take it, and when they go in their office, they have it in front of them. Even if they throw it away, I want them to see who I am. I want them to maybe look at my website, Google me. I might put a uh, a sticker on that says, "Hey, go to um, you know, let's just say it was Intel. Go to uh, TylerSellsIntel.com. I might buy a domain for a year that cost me seven dollars and make it all about uh, you know, hey, enter an email address here, and you can win a free iPod or a free iPad. And then now you have an email address that all of the people in the office filled out and now you can drip mail to them so that they know of you as the ice cream realtor. You know what I mean? Have you received business from that effort? Oh, definitely. You have to think. You do an ice cream truck, so picture this. You're at your office. Your colleague comes to you and goes, hey, we got ice cream today. My realtor's uh, going to come with a truck. He goes, what do you mean? He's coming with the truck. He loves me. Coming with the truck, ice cream, Come down, make sure you take your last break at 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock, whatever. Ice cream cup comes down. Everyone comes down. It's like a herd of cattle. They're all coming. They all want ice cream. They get their ice cream. They're talking. You're talking a little talk with them. Let's say even nobody talked to you. Okay. Let's say you weren't even there. On the ice cream, it has a little sticker. To win a free iPad or to win a free iPod or to win a dinner for two, whatever, go to this website. It might be business, uh, Tyler sells Intel or, you know, Tyler sells, you know, Cattlemen's, whatever it is. They go to this website, it says, to enter this in, we're doing this exclusively for Intel employees. Um, fill out your email address and your name and be entered to win in a drawing. And thank you so much for call- coming to our ice cream uh, day today. It was a pleasure seeing you guys. I might even do a video. Hey, thanks, you guys, for stopping by. Uh, you just saw me downstairs. I hope you're enjoying the ice cream today. It's hot outside. Hey, you know, Jim's one of my favorite clients. I do this for my favorite clients. Luckily for you, Jim works with you. And guess what? You guys might all be able to reap the benefits. So enter your email address below. I'm not going to sell your information or anything. Give you updates on the real estate market, but also you can get a, enter to win a free iPod or iPad or dinner for two. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to call you and bug you. You know, we might drip to you every once in a while, but we're really going to tell you about the edu- educate you on the real estate market, and we're going to tell you about future uh, events we're going to do, maybe do a, a coffee day or a latte day. We always find that over 80% of the people that came, more than 80, will put their email address and their name there because who wouldn't want something for free? And now you can drip to them, and they know you as, hey, if I'm going to buy a house, who are they thinking about? I'm thinking about Tyler because he's dripping to me, and I met him. He did the ice cream thing. This was phenomenal. So, yeah, we've definitely seen a huge, huge, huge return on investment on that, definitely. Now, I read somewhere that you're hosting a housewarming party for your clients. Is, is that true? Are you still doing that? I don't do that, but my buyer's agents require that's one of her 32-item checklists because what she has to do is she has to host a housewarming party. Now, we offer it. It's not required because some people don't want it. But when you're going through and you're telling your client some of the things that you're going to do for them when you're, rep- when you're interviewing them, if you're interviewing me as a buyer's agent, 
And I'm like, oh, hey, you know what, Mike? This is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's like, hey, we're going to throw you a housewarming party. What's going to happen is we're going to take a picture of you and your husband or you and your wife in front of the house. We're going to take a picture of you guys are going to hold the too late and the sold sign. Look all goofy. We're going to send that out to all of your friends and family members. We're going to tell them we're, uh, here's a housewarming party. We're doing a housewarming party for you know the Smiths on this day. All you need to bring is yourself and a smile. Um, please RSVP to Tyler at TylerSells.net. Now here goes all of those clients now emailing you. Hey, I'm coming. Hey, I'm coming. Hey, I'm coming. Hey, I'm coming. Now you're getting all their friends and family members' email address. And so you RSVP and you tell the client, hey, I really need them to RSVP to me because I need to make sure I bring enough food. What do you do? Well, I used to work at a, a restaurant called Cattleman's Steakhouse. So what do I do? I go there and I go, hey, I've worked with you guys. I sold a lot of property through them. Can you give me a, uh, you know, a good discount on housewarming party stuff? What can I bring? You know, meatballs to little sandwiches to veggie platters to shrimp cocktails. And it cost maybe 250 bucks. You have your assistant come and take photos. You help them set up. Everyone comes. You meet everyone. Hey, how's it going? Usually at the end, the, the buyer says, hey, just want to let you guys know none of this could have happened without our realtor, Tyler. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, if you guys are buying a house, they always do this. If you guys are buying a house, you've got to use them. He's put this whole party on. He's catered the food in. Next thing you know, we take pictures. We send an email. We send an email to all of the people who came. It says go to this link, and it's a flash little slideshow of all the pictures from the housewarming party. So you gotta do it right. And um, if you do it right, you can always get a return. One, you have a really great walking, talking advocate for you, even if you didn't get any business from it, from the people who came. But most most of the time, we find about 60% of the time, because I measure the results, you can get um, somebody calls and goes, Hey, I'm thinking about buying. Or, hey, I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about listing my house. You always get real estate talk. And next thing you know is you take that person who went and you talk about real estate and you put them in your database and you mail to them with a cap item and evidence of success card and you drip to them. Next thing you know, they just turn into a buyer or a seller. So, yeah, that's a huge, huge uh, thing we do. And we learned that from Brian Buffini. And, and uh, it's a great, great, great way to, to get business. You really enjoy marketing and lead generation, don't you? Hey, everyone says, what business are you in? We're not in the real estate business. We're in the lead generation business because you can't sell real estate without a lead. Do these ideas all come to you or have you learned them elsewhere? How do these things get in your head? I'm a sponge. I mean, I always want to learn from someone who's better, who's wiser, and who does it quicker. That's just my model. I'm a sponge. Most people will go, oh, I really want to go to a seminar and they'll learn something. And they'll be like, okay, let's put the book away and I learn some cool things. I, I, when I read a book, when I have a meeting with somebody, when I'm picking somebody's brain, when I'm meeting with someone who's better than me, how did you get here? What did you do that I'm not doing? What would you recommend for me? And I started this when I was real, real young. I mean, I'd say at age nine with someone who owned, my mom worked at a, a, a private college and the owner of the college, I'm like, man, you drive around in a Mercedes and you have, this is so cool. What do you do? Can we go to lunch? I want to know how you do this. And I was young. I still like, talked to him, talked to him in email and, and write him to this day. And he'd take me out and I'm just like, how do you do this? He'd tell me, you save this and save that. At that time, it was to save money at age nine. But, um, you know, now obviously I take those items and those things I learn or do you recommend a book or what, what, what can you recommend for me? What, if you can give me one key to leave here today, what would it be? I'm taking that in and I'm applying it. Most people will take it and won't apply it. 
but I'm a sponge. I'm taking the information and I'm applying it. And um, you guys did an interview with Leo. Leo even recently, him and I met and, and, and at the 30 Under 30 event. We met before that, but we really uh, met at the 30 Under 30 event and hit it off. And he's he, he even reminds me that I need to do it more. I mean, you tell him one thing and he hatches onto it and he'll take it. You say, hey, Leo. Um, let's go out and meet this ass venture. Okay, like, Tyler, we're meeting him, Tyler, we're meeting him, Tyler, we're meeting him, what's going on? I mean, he's on it because he takes the information and applies it, or, he, you know, he, he stays uh, great with follow-up. So if I, I know of an opportunity or I see something, I'm going to take that knowledge and really put it in my head. And I've always learned these things from a ton of different people, but I'm probably one of the, you know, 5% that actually applies it. These aren't new. I mean, you think these aren't new. new. This isn't like, whoa, that's a great idea. <laughs> it's nothing out of the world. But, I mean, some people may go, that's a cool idea, but are they really going to apply it? The one thing I, I think that I'm good at is I'm applying uh, what other people have taught me. I'm really good at applying it or putting it in as a process, a procedure, or as um, a requirement. Tyler, it sounds to me like you've experimented a lot with marketing. What marketing did you try that failed? What What was the worst marketing experience you've had? The worst marketing experience? So this was when I was 21. I said, I got to drum up business. I am hungry, man. I am starving. I need business. So I said, you know what? I love my mother to death, but I'm not going to spend Mother's Day with her. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a wagon and I'm going to hand out marigolds for Mother's Day to an area that I'm farming. And what I, if you look back at this interview, I've always said, prepare, prepare, make sure you're prepared so the outcome's great. I did not prepare. I borrowed a friend's wagon that squeaked. Um, and I, I, I was like 104 degrees. It was so hot. Of course, I wore a suit, so I'm drenched. And I walked around, and I did all these marigolds the day before. And they were – I was not a – you buy these marigolds if you go to like Home Depot. You buy them like you know packs of ten, and then you have to cut them off, and you have to put them in a pot. I mean, I had to put them in a pot, right? So I had to buy all these pots and all this stuff. And I went around, and of course it was so hot that some of them kind of died. And so I went door to door, and I and I didn't I didn't have a script. I didn't even think of how I was going to do this. I was just like, maybe I'll get business. And I'd go and I'd go. Hi. And so imagine me coming to your, your house, Mike. I'd go to your house. I'd knock on the door. I'd go. Hi. Is there a mother in the house? And you probably go, who the <laughs> hell is this guy in front of me? And most people would be like, no. I'd be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm handing out marigolds for Mother's Day. <laughs> and these people would look at me like, who is this? Wait, what do you do? Are you a local florist company? <laughs> It was the worst marketing idea I probably have ever done. I mean, I said to myself, I'm not leaving. I don't care if somebody slams the door in my face. I'm handing out all these marigolds. Then I handed them all out, and it was, one, embarrassing. Two, it taught me a lesson. Three, I knew that I was, hey, I'm outside my comfort zone. I'm willing to do anything to make it work. And um, <laughs> that was not a good idea. I mean, did I get business from it? Zero. Was it hot? Yes. Was I sweating? I mean, I was dripping. I mean, and some people were outside and go, "Oh, hi, how are you? Like, great." But I am Tyler Smith. I'm just giving out marigolds from Mother's Day. Some of them I was so nervous I didn't even tell them I was in real estate. So, <laughs> what I would say is that was a bad marketing idea. Should it be a good marketing idea? It probably could be if I executed it properly. So, but really bad marketing idea. <laughs> I have a picture, but I'm not going to share that either. <laughs> <laughs>
Do you have an uh, internet presence to use any type of social media? We do. We probably don't enough. We use Twitter. A lot of people follow us. And they want, you know, it's funny. We didn't have a Twitter, and people are like, oh, I wonder what your day is like. I just would love to know what your day is. So I got a Twitter just to tell people what I was doing, and it's crazy the amount of people who want to know what I'm doing. I don't know why. I think people are just, in, like I said, people are intrigued with real estate. They want to know. So we feed it through our main website. If you go to tylersells.net, you'll see at the top right corner a little Twitter bird, and it tells what we're doing. And so um, we'll put things in there, our properties in there. But, you know, you know, grabbing lunch at the new hot spot, Land and Ocean in Folsom, great spot, highly recommended. Call me for coupons. And we'll get people call. oh, was it good? Great. Hey, what's this coupon thing? Yeah, hey, I talked to the owner. Yeah, I can get you uh, – you know, a happy hour, you know, free drink or something or whatever it is. We we typically, whenever we, we try to go somewhere, we try to get something from a new restaurant or, hey, what can you offer? I have a client base and I want to offer them something. And that's just another twist of marketing. So, yeah, Twitter, we use that. Um, Facebook kind of use that. Not really. Uh, we blog a lot because that gets picked up on, um, on Google and the SEO. But not a huge, huge presence in the, as far as social media, not as much as we'd probably like to be. We've talked a lot about lead generation. When a lead comes in, how do you capture it? Do you have a manual system or using an electronic system? Where does that lead go? Well, it depends. If it comes in by a call, we put it in. I mean, we don't have a CRM that is phenomenal, which is great. Um, there's a company that's called um, MyRealEstateTools.com or something like that. And MyRealEstateTools.com or MyRedTools.com, they're phenomenal with CRM. And so we've just picked them up and we're using them and they are great. I mean, what you do is a lead goes in and you can even feed it from your website. So a lead goes in and it does an automatic drip campaign and it does uh, a lot of different things that you can do. So that's the new way. We, we don't do it as much as we, we should um, but that's our new product that we've just picked up, and we're going to be really utilizing that as much as possible because, you know, leads slip through the crack. I mean, next thing you know, a week goes by, uh, uh, three weeks go by, and you see the guy like, hey, what's going on? How's everything going? He's like, dude, you should see my new house. You're like, what do you mean? You bought a house? <laughs> yeah, where were you? <laughs> you know? And it's because you didn't follow up. So you have to definitely make sure you're on top of uh, uh, some sort of CRM as far as uh, to make sure you stay in contact with clients. Do you have a schedule for follow-up like you do for escrow? Yeah. It's not a schedule for follow-up, but the CRM takes care of that. So, like, if I was talking to you as a buyer, I'd be like, hey, great, great talking to you. Uh, great, we're going to send you over to the lender. Um, so what I'll do is I'll, fo I'll put a follow-up task and say follow-up in a week, see if they got pre-approved from the lender. Hey, lender, did they get pre-approved? Oh, we're working on it. It should be another week. Hey, it looks like it should be another week. Congrats. I mean, hey, we'll have you approved. The, the lender's going to have you approved another week. You set up a new new task. So you just keep tasking it in the CRM, and what it does is it just allows you to be able to follow up. It kind of sets your schedule for the day because you can look and go, here are all my tasks that I have to do for the day as far as following up. And when you follow up and follow up and follow up, one – you're either going to push people away where they go, yeah, I'm not ready to buy, and you can wheel out the, the real buyers and the fake buyers, but also if they're a real buyer, they're like, man, you are good. You know, you put in what you last talked about. Hey, so last time you told me you owned a, your son was do, you just got promoted in his job. How's it going? Is he loving it? And wow, how does this guy remember this? It's because of the CRM. So yeah, it, we always use task-related um, processes. How many listings do you currently have? 29 actives. And how many of those are REO? How many of those are non-REO or, or more traditional? Two regular, eight short sell. Yeah, 19 is um, REO. How many buyers are you currently working with? 
I do a weekly meeting with my um, buyer's agent. So she probably has, on every given any given meeting, she probably has 10 to 12 buyers at a time. And those are actual buyers that are physical properties that you have. You're sending them and you're showing them. And we don't call them a buyer, like a, a, a live buyer, until they've seen a property. And unless they're within, uh, they want to move in the next two months. They want to move five months from now. We don't call. I don't call them an active buyer. When it's within two months, that's when we know we're going to get them in escrow because that's our hot phase. So um, I'd say anywhere from yeah, ten to fourteen or so. She has. Do you practice buyer agency in your market, where you sign a buyer up to an agreement to work exclusively with you? Yeah, we call it a buyer broker agreement here in California. So no, we don't. Um, you know, my my buyers agents have to have them a hundred percent pre qualified before they even put them put them in the car. We're not chauffeurs. We're not going to be driving around when they're not approved because, as you know, when you eat a filet mignon and then you go back to eat a, a charbroiled sirloin, it's not as good. It's the same with a car. With a, a car, you go drive your car and then get in a brand new car. It just feels better in the brand new car. It's the same with the house. If they're approved for four hundred thousand and you've been showing them five hundred thousand dollar homes this whole time, the problem is now you're showing them four hundred thousand and they want the one with granite that overlooked the, the the lake. But guess what? It's not in their price range anymore because now you just got them approved approved after the fact. So um, we don't really work with buyer broker agreements just because, I mean, if they're committed, they're committed. I mean, and we really, really sit down and that's part of our, our presentation when we sit with our buyers and we meet with them and, hey, we're going to put our real estate hat on for you. We, this is what you can expect out of us. This is what we expect out of you. There's an expectation. And uh, sometimes we have to, you know, release them back into the market, you know, swim free, fishy. If it's not a qualified buyer, if they're not willing to get pre-approved, those are the first steps. And we can't, nobody can afford to be spending gas, time, energy, efforts, monies on a buyer that possibly can't purchase or is not a real buyer. So we want to make sure, hey, are you committed to me? I mean, if we feel a little reluctancy, what we do, we will have them sign it, but it's, it, it's, it's not common practice here from what we do. And we haven't really had a problem with it either. Do you walk a buyer through a buyer presentation before you go out and show them property? Always. It's one of the requirements on my checklist. Before you'll show them property, they, do they come into your office? Do you go out and meet them? Just depends. A lot of buyers are, you, you got to meet them out or they come into the office and you just say, hey, this is what we're about. This is how we work. You know, you're here to interview me to see if I'm the agent you choose and I'm here to interview you to see if you're the type of buyer I want to work with. And uh, what's nice about our business is and people look at you like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, and the the great thing about our business is we can pick and choose what buyers or sellers we want to work with. We really can. And it depends. What do they say? Is you say, They say you generate so you don't have to tolerate. And if you generate enough leads, you don't have to tolerate the ones, you know, that you, you know that if you work with a, a, a lead that is just a, a mean, bad lead, if you work by referral, other bad leads know other bad lead friends. So if they're not a great lead and they don't, they're not fun to work with, they're going to refer you to their friends. And my mom always said, show me your friends, I'll tell you who you are. I don't want to work with their friends because they're probably just as crazy as this person. You know? So they they sit down and they do a buyer consult and, you know, they have to do a buyer consult. Part, they don't want to meet with us like, nope, I just want to see this property. I want to buy it. I want to see it now. You know, sorry, we have to get some ducks lined up in a row before we do that because I'm not going to drive across town, show you a property, and then you go, yep, it's not what I want it thinks, and you use another agent. You don't know my value proposition. If you don't know my value proposition, 
you're, you're, you're going to go and fish and go with other agents. I'm going to show you why I'm the best agent. You can interview one or 30 agents, but I'm going to show you what I'm going to do for you. And our checklist, anyone can say this checklist. Most of the things we do on the checklist, the people don't want us to do or they don't really remember them or don't care. We would still do them. But some people are like, yeah, I really don't want a housewarming party. But is that a cool benefit? Yeah. Do they like that? Yeah. Does it sound great when they first meet? It sounds amazing. You know, and when does the housewarming party happen? Most first-time home buyers, they're not ready to have a housewarming party until they want their house ready, and it takes two years to get a house ready or a year. You know, so there's a lot of different things that uh, that happen, but that's why we we do that. Every single buyer has to go through a buyer consult. How long is the typical buyer consultation? It just depends. Typically, we 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 know a little bit of what's going on, but if we don't, it can go anywhere from. 10 minutes to 30, depending on how long they have. I mean, our presentation book, it takes a good 10 minutes to go through. And then typically what we'll say is, hey, come into the office. I'm going to do a buyer consult. I'm going to tell you exactly how this process is going to go, and then we're going to go out and look at property. So you typically do it on a day to look at property. Um, or if they want to come in and just meet first, you do it then. How many people want to meet first versus come in and then go look at property? I don't even know the percentage on that, but it just depends. I mean, you get a referral to somebody and say, hey, great. You know, Mike, you and your wife, come on in. Um, you know, what are you looking for? And you kind of do a pre-qual over the phone. Have you been pre-qualified with the lender? No. Okay, great. We need to get to that. I'm going to send you out an all-about-you form. I need you to fill it out. It's a little bit of information about you so myself and my staff can better understand who you are and what you do. Um, you know, what type of home are you looking for? Do you know what you're qualified for? Yeah, I've already been pre-approved. Great. Who's your lender? Um, you call a lender. What are they pre-approved for? 150 Great. Well, based upon what they've told me what they like over the phone, I'm going to start sending them stuff on a list on a property. So then what we do, hey, Mike, come on to the office. I'll meet you and your wife. We'll do a little 10-minute sit-down and talk. Then what we'll do is we'll go out and we'll look at property. So it just depends. If you're, if you're going, hey, Tyler, I mean, like I had one client. You have to understand, in this market, people have so many – technology's changed the way the market goes. I had a client come, and she says, I want to work with you, Tyler. I don't want to work with your buyers, which I want to work with you. But I'm talking to other agents. I'm like, great. So not only do you have to interview me, but you're talking to other agents? Yes. How many interviews have you done? She says, I have done – 15 interviews. I'm like, what? I'm like, how do you even know 15 realtors? She's like, Facebook, of course. I put on there, do you know a realtor? I have 550 friends. Everyone and their mom knows a realtor. I'm like, holy cow. She goes, and you were referred by blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, great. So what happened? She came in. I did the consult. I did the presentation. She says, sold, done. Where are we going? Show me some homes. No one else gave her what I gave her. And I had so many things on there. She was like, wow, you do that? Wow. Wow, well, that's wonderful. And it's part of the checklist thing that goes on in that. So who would she pick? She picked me. And, and that's not normal, but it, it's a great story to tell because with Facebook, you can say, do you know a good realtor? Everyone and their mom is going to respond. Everyone wants to refer the realtor. How many people on your team, what are their titles and what are their responsibilities? I always say it's good to have a small team um, unless you are swamped in overload. And you have to base your team upon your type of business. I'll give you an example. Um, my right-hand gal, Jennifer, she's my executive assistant. Then I have Annette, who's like our, our client care concierge department. And then I have my buyer's agent, Denise, and I have a field runner, Nate. And I have myself. The reason why I probably don't have more people is because I love to work. So I'm young now. I figure one day when I have a wife and kids, I can probably not work as much. So I'm working as I can probably, if I wasn't working, I'd probably have two people doing what I do. But it's a pretty small team because I, I'm all about profit. I, I'm a huge guy about profit. 
I don't want to have the award for most homes sold and, and you know, in debt, <laughs> you know. So um, I really, really want to make sure. So Jennifer handles a lot. Uh, she's my right-hand gal. She does almost all the day-to-day -day things like I do. Annette will make sure our buyer's agents, clients are very, very happy, you know, kind of holding their hand on certain processes. And she does all the TC work, all the paperwork. But then she also does all of our utilities, and um, she does our BPO coordination. And then I have Nate, who's my field runner, who helps out with the BPOs because he goes out to the properties, he sees them, he knows them, um, unless I go out there and we can communicate that with our BPO specialist, so who is Annette. So um, we run a really tight boutique type of uh, style. Um, and like if we got slammed all of a sudden, we'd probably hire on somebody else and um, and train them. But I think I'm just really good at managing people, and I think that's why our team has done so well being so small. And I've got a really good team that – they want to work. I mean, they want the Smith team to succeed a lot. What is a field runner? They go out to the properties and do the inspections, the weekly occupancy checks, the weekly inspections. If uh, they need to meet a contractor out there, a pest inspector, whatever it is, they're just out in the field all day long. Are all these people licensed? Uh, yes. Well, not the field runner, um, but he has old. He's a general. Uh, he used to be a general contractor, so he knows the property very, very well. So what's great for that is the bank can get uh, a license. Uh, he's a licensed contractor looking at the property, looking for um, you know normal problems where he, we can relate it in the BPO. Like, hey, there's mold. There's a leak behind the shower, and there's going to be mold. And so we could recommend that in the BPO before we get. Um, contractors out there to bid it. He doesn't bid or anything like that. He's a, a retired contractor. Um, so he was a contractor that w used to be great when the market was hot and said, hey, I just want to work as a W-2. And he's great because he brings a great wealth of knowledge. But besides him, yeah, everyone is. How do you compensate these people? All W-2 employees with bonus incentives. So they're all on a salary plus a bonus? Correct. Do you prefer hiring people that are experienced or inexperienced when they're agents? Both. It just depends. Inexperienced is always better. We have to first understand when you're dealing with agents, we're all independent contractors. We're all, we all like, we're all free spirits. We love freedom. You know what? We might wake up at 10 a.m. and come to work at 11 and go home at 2 and feel good, baby. Yeah, I feel good about the day. So the problem is you have to make sure that you don't have, um, you know, a, an older or seasoned or um, a veteran agent uh, that knows what they're doing because it's hard for them to change. It's hard for them to do. I, I, we had a buyer's agent who, oh, I already do. I, I do this, this, this. I said, here's my checklist. And they're like, I really don't want to do this. It's a lot of work. It's like, well, that's that's part of the requirement of work with the Smith team. That's what we, we want to build up. We want to, my, my main model is we want to go from making a living to making a fortune. And, um, you know, if you want to make a living and just get by, that's fine. This is not the team. You don't want to be honest. We all want to live the good life. We all want to get to the good life. And we want to make more than just a living. We want to make a fortune. And this is the way, it, what it's going to take. And so hiring a seasoned agent, it just depends. If they're willing to change, definitely. We'd love to take someone on like that. However, if they're not, it's tough because they're not, you know, they have to sign a contract that they're going to do X, Y, and Z if they're going to work on our team and work with us. And if they're not, then it's just not a win-win situation because can we make money off of them? Yeah. Can the, the can, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm incorporated. So can the, can the corporation make money off of them? Yeah. But is it really living your philosophy or your model or your core values or your vision or mission? No. And that's what we're all about. Tyler, you have these folks running around. You've explained what they do. 
what do you do on a day-to-day basis? I manage the day-to-day operations. So I'll come into the office. Um, typically, I'm inside the physical office before 6, and uh, it's my quiet time. I can look at what's going on, what tasks I have to do, um, what properties we have closing, what properties are closing the following month that I can push the team to close earlier, um, following up with emails, following up on calls. And when the team comes in, I'm kind of just making sure they're, they're doing what they need to take care of. I'm maintaining relationships, returning phone calls, you know, putting out fires, those types of things, overlooking BPOs, making sure we're, we're on top of we're doing it right. I mean, we get a lot of different problems that happen with properties, so I'm kind of the problem solver on that and kind of making – all parties happy. So I'm kind of just, I kind of just go around and look over everyone and, and, and also lead generate, you know, schedule and put events on and things like that. What type of technology do you employ in your business? Interesting how you say that. About two years ago, uh, we did like over a hundred deals. And at the time I really wasn't a systemized guy. I was, but wasn't as, as systemized as I should have been. And so if you think about it, I had my file I had my assistant had a file, and then we had a TC at the time, not a net, but her name was Lisa, and she had a file. We all had three files, and all of them weren't didn't match up. And as you know, the Department of Real Estate requires you to save your documents, your files, for California up to seven or eight years. So we had not one, but we had three files. Every file has around 75 pages plus. So you can imagine, I had three files per one property, and I sold over 100 properties, and that's not include 100 properties, and that's not including the dead offers or the dead deals or the listings and the, uh, the listings that were lost or whatnot. So you can imagine the type of paperwork that we had. So I said, you know, we got to create a better system, a paperless solution. So I created a company. I didn't even know it was a company. I created something in house called SkySlope, and I didn't even have a name for it. I said, we're just going to use this transaction. And I created it, and I said, this is really cool. And other agents in the office like, I love this. I want to use this. So it turned into a company called SkySlope. So I own a, co- a software company called SkySlope, and it's a transaction management software company that saves paper consumption. And now we sell to brokerages nationwide. And it's actually, it actually, believe it or not, does better than my real estate business. <laughs> so uh, we utilize SkySlope. We utilize technology, my red tools, or my real estate uh, office.com. So my red tools is phenomenal. Let's talk about SkySlope for a second. How is it different from other transaction management systems? We have quite a bit of competition out there, no doubt. So, and there's a lot of great companies out there. However, um, I know agents very, very well, obviously, being an agent. And I know that agents don't like change. And I know that brokers don't want to implement too many hard processes because a lot of agents may not be tech savvy. Or you get agents who aren't, which I'd say the majority of them are not. And so when you get an, a non-tech savvy agent and implement a new tech savvy solution, it doesn't mix very well, especially for brokerages. And the goal is to get the brokerages to buy in on it. But what sets me apart is we are super easy to use. If you can use an iPhone, you can use SkySlope. It's very, very easy to use. And um, it saves brokerages money across the nation. And we save them great, great amount of money. Obviously, they save money in paper consumption, in um, shredding and off-site storage, and paper clips, paper files on toner, on ink, on printers, um, and you do your part as going green as an office. So um, we set ourselves apart 100%, I'd say, on how easy we are to use. And a lot of other uh, competitors are very complex. They offer way too many options and things. And it, when things get too complex or too difficult, the problem that you run into is agents may not pick it up and not, may not want to use it. 
and um, if they don't want to use it, that's the problem now. The broker is paying for something, or if they're charging their agents, they have their agents pay for something that they're not technically using. And brokers in this market don't want to force people on using things and possibly lose an agent because it's a hard type of technology. And is this a place where you keep contracts and documents? What is the overall picture? Are you tracking dates and events that happen? All of the above. So let's just take a typical transaction. So you're the buyer. I'm representing you as the uh, the list or as the buyer's agent. We write an offer. Typically, what happens is a brokerage, the broker, the managing broker, the brokerage, let's just say Keller Williams, is required to keep those documents. So me as an agent, when I get them signed by you, the buyer, I have to turn them into my office. So what I have to do is I have to take that that contract. I have to make a copy for the the escrow company. I have to make a copy for um, the lender, and most of the time we're sending them via email, so that's fine. But And then we're also printing out a copy and turning it into the brokerage. The brokerage then gives you a checklist and says, hey, Tyler, great, you're missing a signature on page two, and I need also X, Y, and Z. So they give me a piece of paper, put it in my box. I drive down from my house to the office, pick up the piece of paper, drive it back to my house, find out what I need, call the buyer, say, hey, I need you to sign X, Y, and Z, go out, get it signed, come back to the office, turn it back in, going back to the office to get the checklist of the broker checked off. It's a constant process going back and forth. Well, we've automated all that. We've put it online. So now agents are, are uploading their documents to an online platform where brokers can accept or reject them online. You don't have to make copies to the brokerage anymore. And what's nice is for paper consumption, at the end of the deal when it closes, the broker has to take that file and they have to save it whether it's in-house or an off-site storage. We find that typical brokers, um, mass-producing brokers, will take that, and what they'll do is they'll store it off-site, which just adds an additional expense. So I'll give you an example. Um, our local Keller Williams office in uh, here in Folsom, what they were doing was they were paying, I think, like $800-plus a month for off-site storage. If they wanted to access a file, let's just say they went to court for whatever reasons. A year later, they wanted to get that file. They'd have to call, and they'd have to go down there, pick up the file, and pay because the person that stored the file has to find it. So they have to pay a $99 fee to get their file that they own back, use it, and then to put it back in the, the, the vault, they have to pay as well. Well, we put all that in the cloud. And what happens is that office, that uh, storage facility burns down. Now you don't have a file. So everything's in the cloud, um, and what happens with that is you can access it. We don't charge you to access it. Once it's closed and archived, the system saves it until you as a broker delete it. And um, you know now it's all paperless. So you, you've, you've saved quite a bit of time. Your agent doesn't have to drive into the office to turn in paper, and they don't have to drive in to pick up their checklist. They can log on on their iPhone, their BlackBerry, whatever it is, their home computer, and look in an instant of what they're missing and what they need to do. So you have electronic centralized documents that everyone can access. Correct. Does it have a date component where you're tracking dates in these transactions? Yep. We have a calendar feature and a reminder feature. Um, we have a archive feature. We have a new feature coming out at the end of the next quarter that's a digital signature feature. So now um, do- people who are subscribing to like digital signature features like DocuSign and EchoSign and EcoSign, they don't have to be a subscriber to them because our current subscribers will now be able to send a contract out from our system. You, uh, Mike, can digitally sign it, and it sends it right back into the system, and now they have a digital contract signed without even going to meet their clients. So um, what's nice is uh, that's kind of the releases we're doing, but it also does, like you said, it does have a calendar feature and a reminders feature. How long have you had that product out? It's been live in the market for two years now, have over 25,000 subscribers. 
Are these people just in California? Are they all across the U.S.? Nationwide. We have them all over the nation. We have clients in Guam, believe it or not. And we've had tons of inquiries for overseas, but our system just doesn't understand that, that market yet. Um, we'd like to do that. It's just not our model right now. But um, we have inquiries from you know overseas France, um, you know Africa. I mean, tons of different places where like we don't know how we don't know real estate how it works there. You know, it's pretty standard here in in, in the states. When you go overseas, it can be different and much more complicated. So we just don't know their system. Do you have a separate office and company for SkySlope? Definitely. How many people are working over there? Uh, about I think we have nine or ten now. Do you run that company or does somebody run it for you? I look at the day-to-day numbers and things like that, but I have somebody who kind of runs it. Um, I have great sales force, great support force. We're known for support. Um, the company, what's great about our company is we're always doing releases. Every quarter we do a new release, and we do it based upon what our users want. To give you an example, every quarter we'll send out a newsletter that says, hey, guess what? We're coming out with some new features. Here are the top features that were voted on. Which ones do you like? Vote, cast your votes, your your voice matters, and they'll cast the vote. And whatever the, our, our subscribers want off of that list, we will implement within the system. So we're really tailoring it to the brokers and the agents, and it's great because we're really building a product to what our subscribers want. And I think what they're looking at is like, wow, this company's really – they're making changes to what we want. And, you know, we spoke and they listened, you know. And if somebody listening to this interview wanted to go find out about it, where would they go? www.skyslope, S-K-Y-S-L-O-P-E.com. Well, thank you, Tyler, for talking about that. Let's get back into your real estate business. You mentioned earlier that you're profitable. Is the business profitable? Everybody wonders about that with REOs and and all the pressures on you. Is your real estate business profitable? Definitely. 100% profitable. If it's not profitable, like I've always said, like I've said in this interview, it doesn't make dollars. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I pay myself a salary out of the corporation, and my employees obviously get paid, and we have expenses. And if we cannot, uh, if the company cannot profit, there's no point in being a business and how, as, as far as how I see it. Um, we got in this business to not have a cap on how much we can make, but it's all about how much you save in this business because, I mean, my first two, three years, like I told you, I, I spent more than I made. And I said, I have to change this. This is not healthy. And I had to change my mindset. That's what it really was because I was used to living, you know, check to check to check. And I was afraid of success. I was afraid of, 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 of income coming in and having savings. And I had to shift my mindset 100%, which I did after two and a half, three years. Um, and I said, it's all about profit. If we're not profiting, why are we in business? Just to say we're in real estate, just to say we have a corporation, just to say we have a, a company, it doesn't work that way. So I'd say our profit margin for REO is about 45 or so percent. And that's just because the main reason, and that's pretty, that's a pretty good percentage if you ask a lot of different REO agents that are like, I'm at 60 or I'm at 70. And the reason why is because my, my team runs, they run a very tight ship. I mean, they are workers. If they have to stay after, they stay after. They have to come in early, they come in early. They make sure the job is done. And everyone has, you know, enterprise Blackberries where we can all look and centralize and talk and make sure everything's fine. And everyone wants the work to succeed. And I think if I had more staff, that number would be completely different, definitely. Tyler, what drives you? Oh, what drives me? Everyone wants to be the best. I want to be the best. I want to be one of the best agents. I want to be one of the, I want to have one of the best transaction management platforms in the real estate industry. I want to be, I want to be at the top, the top tier. 
that drives me, but also I'd say a, a big reason that drives me is when I was in real estate my third year, I was selling the house that me and my best friend bought. And at the time, I said, ooh, I kind of don't have any money. And we're selling this, and we have uh, equity, which is great. And I was down to the last dollar. I literally had nothing in my bank account. I remember going, i got to buy these clients coffee, and I'm scared that it may not. I was maxed out everywhere. And I said, I wonder if this card's even going to go through on this 3 $5 coffee. They're like, you want coffee? I'm like, no, 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 I got it. I'm, I'm not going to drink any. I've just had one. And it, I didn't have any. I wanted some. And the problem was it, I was freaked out. And that feeling, I would never want that feeling again. It was a really bad feeling. And um, from there, I made a decision of I'm going to really, really focus. I'm either going to go for this and put myself on a budget and really, really save and, and turn this into a, a company and stop playing around with this because it all sounds glamorous when you're going, I'm in real estate, I own a company, I've got assistance, and when you're not profiting. And that, that, that was what I was doing at that time. And I said, you know, I've got to change this. So that one drives me because that feeling, you have to hate that feeling so much to where you're willing to change. And I hated that feeling so much that I'm never going to go back to that part of my life. And then second of all, I mean, I'm 27. Hey, I want a wife and kids one day. And I don't know about you, if you have wife or, a wife or kids, but I know wives aren't uh, cheap. I know, I know that. And two, I know kids aren't cheaper. So, um, you know, if I want a, a kid, if I want a, a child, and I want five, everyone laughs at me. They're like, you're going to have one, and they'll be done. I'm like, hopefully. <laughs> but I want five. I want a big family. I came from my brother and I, and my father had a huge family, and my mother had a huge family. And our family was just my father, my mother, and my myself and my brother, which was great. But I, I love going back to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where mom was from, and see her, her eight siblings and go back to, you know, um, uh, go back to Brentwood where my dad's from or, or Pinole Valley and see all of his siblings. They have big families and it's great because Thanksgiving is huge. And so I'd love to, to restart that Smith tradition. So I know that if I want five kids, it's not going to be cheap. And I know what college is now. And I know if I have kids in five years, you take 18 plus five, which is 23. College tuition is not going to be what it is 23 years from now. So I'm kind of a analytical type of guy. When I think about those numbers, it kind of grosses me out. So that drives me. <laughs> I better have enough in the bank, right? Because if my kid wants to go to college and he doesn't get the scholarship, heaven forbid, I better be, be able to pay for it. Tyler, what do you think people should know about you? I mean, I can tell you what people probably don't know. What what kind of shocks people is I'm up super early. It's kind of disgusting. How early do you get up? This morning I was up around 3.30, 3.45. Wow. So that is pretty early. Do you do that every day? Typically. I work out around 4 o'clock or 4.30, depending on when the trainer can get there. And I work out for a good hour, hour and a half. Come back. Like I said, I'm in the office before 6, so... You know, if I work out at 4, it's 5, shower, get ready, come to the office. I love to wake up early. It's kind of weird. At one point, I was, like, racing my alarm, and then I said, I have a problem. So I stopped doing that and <laughs> tried to beat my alarm. But I feel like the early bird gets the worm. I wouldn't recommend it for – I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for people to get up early. But, I, you know, I started with getting up 15 minutes earlier and earlier, and then it just turned into getting up earlier and earlier. And um, a lot of people say I'm like an old soul, but I feel that I can I can move mountains in the morning. It's crazy what I can do in the morning. But I like my morning time. I love to journal. I love to read in the morning. I love to get a good workout in. Um, and then I like to get get busy with work. And if I can do that, then, you know, get off at a decent hour. 
um, go home. Uh, I love that. That's what it's all about. And I want to do, I have some pretty big goals and some pretty big things I want to do. So in order to do those things, it requires me to get up at a certain time. Tyler, why are you successful? I get asked that question a lot. And I say the number one reason is because I'm a sponge to, to knowledge. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that we kind of mentioned and spoke on that briefly before. But um, I think, one, I always want to learn from someone better, who's doing better than me, who is better than me, and uh, who's doing it right. And I not only want to just talk to them, but I want to, you know, get some action plan steps. You know, hey, what steps would you guide me? And if you and I were sitting at coffee right now, I'm like, hey, Mike, how'd you do so well in this? And, you know, how'd you build this up? And how'd you start this website? And, man, it'd be cool to start a website like this. How'd you do it? If I were to do that and you could give me, this is how I did it, this is what I did, and I ask you for advice, I'd take that and I would run with it. And um, I'd say I'm just successful just because, People are, you know, people don't ask, and I ask a lot of questions, and people are always willing to give an answer. And um, based upon that, I, I would just say I'm a very great sponge to knowledge. I take in information like a sponge, and I'm just, uh, I want to know how this person did better or has a better way of doing it or an easier way of doing it, and I want to apply that to my life. So I think that's probably why I, I do well. Um, a lot of people might say, like, you're brilliant, you're smart. I, I really don't think IQ – it's not about IQ, it's about I do. And um, I think it's about what you're willing to do and what items you're – I mean, people can ask for advice all the time, but it's what you do with that advice. And I'm really good at taking advice and applying it. Tyler, if you were going to advise a brand-new agent in the business, what would you tell them to do first? If I was a brand-new agent right now and I was getting in the business – what I would do as a new agent is I'd seek out the best agent and not just a mediocre agent. I'd want to seek out the best. I mean, and if that's what their goal is to be the best or to do really, really well, they have to take the, as a new agent, if I can go back in time, I would take my career and I'd pretty much what I always say, boost it onto steroids and go, I'm not going to just try to go to the training classes and do this, this, and this. I'm going to talk to the best agent and I'm going to take him out the coffee. And I'm going to learn and see what he does. If you're the big franchise, I'd say, you know what, I'm going to find out what other big agents are within my franchise throughout the nation. And I'm going to seek them out. Maybe I'm going to take a trip out and go meet them. Um, or maybe I'll start within my office and, and do a couple of deals and then go out and, and, and start you know, saying, hey, I really want to visit Texas. Who in my franchise is in Texas that does over this amount of volume? And every month or every three months or once a quarter, your, your goal is to, to go out and meet someone who's doing better than you and take their advice, but then also apply it. Um, and that's what I would do if I was a brand new agent, because I didn't do that in the beginning. And I didn't ask, and most people are willing to share. I mean, I'm a big share. If somebody called me and asked me a question, I'd be more than willing to help them out, go out to lunch or coffee or so on, you know, if it, if it, if it fits within my schedule. I'd give any anyone questions or answers or, or challenges and or or help. That's just who I am, and I think um, you know, give it out in slices. It comes back in loaves. And if I was a brand new agent getting in, that's what I would be doing. I would be really seeking out the better agents um, and finding out what they do and what advice they have, and take that knowledge and apply it. You know, if they say go do an open house, you don't have any clients, go do an open house for for 10 days, and you know, you need to do 10 open houses in the next 30 days. I would go do 10 open houses in the next 30 days. And if it didn't work, go back to them and go, it didn't work. So obviously I didn't set it up right or you don't know what you're talking about, which they probably do. But I would do what they tell me to. I wouldn't go do one open house. I'm like, oh, this sucks, man. I Nobody came in. If they said go do 10, go do 10, you know. I would do what a better agent 
says to do. So I did, I'd, I'd, I'd seek some of the best people out. Well, Tyler, you absorb new ideas like a sponge, and then you take action. You're not afraid to experiment and learn from the process. Your unconventional use of lunch and learns, ice cream trucks, and even a squeaky red wagon filled with marigolds has propelled you into real estate icon status. I can't wait to hear what you try next. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.